And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Very excited that you're here today. I am the host, creator, producer of The Spiritual Spiral. Of course, I'm Eddie Cohn. Thanks so much for joining me today. And you are in store for a thought-provoking conversation that I had a couple weeks ago with Tessa Lena. You can find her on Twitter at Tessa Makes Love, or you can find her on her website, TessaFightsRobots.com. And I found out about Tessa maybe a couple months ago from a writer, John Rappaport, on Twitter. And look, I have been very concerned, and I've certainly been curious about the strange look of the world over the last year. Certainly feels like people are being silenced, muted, if they speak out against the quote-unquote narrative that the media is continuously um, promulgating day in and day out. And Tessa, of course, has been speaking out against that narrative, and she's a fantastic writer. I have been reading her on Substack. Leo, my cat, sorry, my cat just walked in. I've been reading her on Substack, on Twitter, and it's very thought-provoking stuff, very provocative. Certainly, it's just this idea that what happened to the world where if somebody has a different point of view, instead of listening and thinking about what they have to say, it feels like we are surrounded by people now that just want that person to be quiet or we censor them, or we think they're just like Looney Tunes or something. And I can't help but think that this is potentially the most dangerous time that we have ever lived in. Just this idea that physicians and doctors are suggesting other alternatives, and they are told to be quiet, and that they are quacks, and that they should just, as I said, just you know, be censored or, or nullified. And that's that's just a strange place to be in right now. You know me. I, I'm I'm so um, my health is such a priority. I, I try and eat well and take vitamins and exercise every day and take minerals. And I'm fully um, I fully support homeopathic medicine um, beyond just the medical world. So it's just it's just I I, I just wonder if. These leaders, these politicians really have, if our health is truly their best interest. And it just doesn't feel that way. So I am thrilled that Tessa took the time to talk to me. Again, it's a very thought-provoking conversation. You can find her on Twitter at Tessa Makes Love. Again, her website, Tessa Fights Robot. She's also a fantastic musician. She's from Moscow, but she's been here in the States, I get the sense, for over 20 years. And I think she lives in New York, and I think much like me, she is um, quite astounded at what's happened to the world. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. You can find me, as you know, on Instagram or Twitter at Eddie Cohn with any questions. I have a bunch of new music that's coming out. You can find me on eddiecohn.bandcamp.com. Uh, the book should be out by the end of the year, but more on that later. Thanks again, Tessa, for taking the time to speak to me. And thanks to you for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast.
How are you doing? I am good, thank you. Yeah. It's, well, it's raining and there's thunderstorm. Yeah. So it... I have um, I have some cats, and I was seeing if I could keep the door closed, but that might be challenging because every time I close the door, my cats want to come in and say hi. So we'll see how this goes. Do you have cat? Do you have Do you have pets at home? No, I don't. I used to have cats before, but no, no, I don't have cats now. Okay. Where? I yeah. see. I yeah. see them. I think they're already coming they're to say already, hi. They're already invading the space. So uh, where where are you from? Well, first, where? Moscow. Uh, Moscow. Okay. But how long have you lived in the States? Forever. Like all of my adult life. Okay. So a while. And you're, you're in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like it? Do you like it there? Not anymore. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. But uh, in general, yes. Well, starting last year, it's been weird. But you know. Yeah. Well, up. In, I guess that's the thing. I sort of want to backtrack a little bit. But up until 2020 January, you know, what 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 were you doing uh, creatively? Were you did did you start the Medium blog or the Medium articles at that point, or, or was this something that was after? No, no, no. I mean, like, I'm a musician. That's what that's what I've been doing. Right. And then I've been writing also on my main website. Okay. I started in 2020. I started writing about the pandemic on Substack because uh, any writing of this character would immediately make my website like number one million in Google. So I was trying to salvage my domain because I've already because I was writing about big tech before and I've noticed the effects. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to not damage my domain. So I started doing that on Substack. Okay. But I was writing before. Yeah. When when did you become it because I I read an article of yours um and then I saw the uh, I think it's on Medium uh Tessa fights robots. Yeah, well well my main website is tessafightsrobots.com. Okay. I mean that's the name of my album from way, way, way before and all that. So when did and you become sort of um aware of of of, of what technology uh, was doing to the world, you, you know, because again, I, I'm not, I certainly use technology, um, but I, I'm sort of confused and um, a little stressed about what it's doing to um, even basic human to human interaction, you know, but, you know, it, it, at what point were you sort of noticing that the tech was sort of uprooting things a little bit? Well, as a musician, I started noticing that by virtue of them stealing all the income. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I got involved in musicians' activism. And so that's what compelled me originally to start researching big tech. Yeah. And then one thing led to another. And then I found out about transhumanism. But that was, that was again, years ago. And at that time, as I'm sure you know, as a musician, I mean, like, they, nobody really cared. So when musicians said, oh, we don't have money anymore because big tech is taking it all, everybody said, get a job, loser. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And then nobody cared until, well, until it started concerning them. I guess that's human nature. Yeah. Do you think anything um, can be done to stop what's going on? Because it's weird. I, I created this podcast to talk about uh, my frustration with tech, and I, 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 
am frustrated by Napster and Spotify. Streaming services are, are not going away. It feels like more and more keep coming up. I, I just I, I try to make people sort of understand uh, or maybe be sympathetic towards the creative process and creators. And I feel like it's impossible. Well, it again, the, answering this question requires a thesis. So at this point, I'm far less concerned about the kind of philosophy-ish impact of big tech, which was my concern up until the spring of 2020. It was at that point, yes, it was impacting my livelihood, but the entire society wasn't upside down. And we're almost joking that if they try to, uh, well, Google's of the world, if they try to apply this approach that they've been applying to creative industries, to things like farming or food, then we are screwed. Yeah. Literally, like everybody will, will die of starvation. And, and of course, now they're doing that. So now there are bigger problems to worry about, to my senses, than abuse of Spotify and the Googles and the streaming. I mean, that is there. But there, again, things have gotten so much significantly worse yeah. that almost that one feels like, you know, I could deal with that <laughs> as long as... <laughs> Yeah. But it's weird. Yeah. Like, I feel like the world we live in today and sort of the insanity of it all. And, and I, I can't even believe the world that we live in right now. I think a lot of it is because of uh, social media, people's addiction to their phones. I don't think people can, you know, think clearly. I, I just I think there is a way to manipulate a culture to uh, think a certain way now more than ever. That is very true. But then on the other, uh, uh, then on the other hand, I was thinking about it in the same direction. And then I thought, okay, my homeland where in 1917 there was Bolshevik revolution and then the entire culture was hijacked in a way that is extremely similar to what I'm observing on a sensory level. And I'm not talking about isms. I'm not talking about like this ism versus that ism. But the, the way of propagandizing people and introducing these completely fake community values that has nothing to do with the good of the community and using that to bully people. So that they managed to do without any social media and without any technology in this current sense. Of course, at the time they were doing electrification. So that was their technological disruption at the time. So electricity was being introduced and it wasn't there before. So there was a technological upheaval of that, of that uh, nature, but there was no social media. And nonetheless, they managed to gradually, within a matter of a few years, completely turn the culture upside down. So I think that technology is definitely helping to hijack people's minds, but it probably is not even the primary reason. The primary reason is whatever, emotional, spiritual, greed, desire of control, and then whatever means is available to the people for whom that ambition is extremely important, that's burning their hearts, they need to have control. Yeah. And they're using whatever is at their disposal. And it just so happens that in 2020, at their disposal, they had really powerful technology. And before that, of course, social media I mean, it was a buildup. Yeah. How is New York 
Um, how is New York right now? How is it, has it sort of gotten anything, has it gotten anywhere close to what it was a year and six months ago? Or does it still feel um, like a strange, strange town? You know, it is, uh, it's not, again, it's not possible to give a short answer to that. Because on the one hand, you know, you walk around, the restaurants are full, people are not really masking for the most part. So it feels kind of normal. Then I absolutely boycott any venues that require any kind of segregation because I think segregation is immoral. So that part of New York I'm just ignoring and it bothers me tremendously that it even exists because it doesn't feel right and it feels like, are we in 1939? I mean, like what, like that's weird. Yeah. And, but then on the other hand, everything is like happy, happy, full restaurants, people are laughing, people are kissing in the streets. It's, you know, it's like, it's good. But then it feels like it's just a lull and, you know, it's like a temporary little release and, yeah, we, they're going to come again with lockdown and all those things. So yeah. there's it, definitely this feel. Yeah, well, I'm in L.A. and, and they've started to do lockdowns again. Um, really? Yeah, and I feel like um, there's this strange energy in the air where... Um, I don't know. It just, it feels unsettled. It, it like sort of to your point, I, I feel like I'm waiting for what's, you know, what's next. What are they going to ask of us next? Uh, and I, I, it's hard for me not to be feeling concerned about, you know, where, where is this going? No, I have a very weird feeling about where this is going. And my hope is that people will wake up before it gets anywhere really horrible because I think that a lot of people who feel like something's fishy, they're afraid to talk because it comes with career so consequences. And I guess we all know it's not innocent. So a lot of people are keeping it to themselves or they speak to their friends and private conversations. So I think that is my actual, that is my hope that people will start really opening their mouths and really talking. And this way it will become obvious to others that there's absolutely no consensus about this totalitarian direction. Like people don't really want it. It's it's not a tiny crazy minority that is freaking out about it. It's actually the majority of people. Yeah. And otherwise, I don't know. I mean, like I'm convinced by now at this point, one year and a half into that, that it's just there is a reform that needed to be done, and everything else is just attached to that. Hmm. And it is, to me, it, at this, as of this second, it seems undeniable based on all of my research and knowing and history and just the census. But even without census, just looking at actual data, at actual documentation, at what's happening, you know, government documents that talk about converging biological forms and computers I mean, like, it's not me making it up. It's not conspiracy theories originating that kind of thought. It's actual government websites. And it doesn't make it any less crazy, but it just gives us an idea of what is in those people's heads. And if people with those ideas in their heads are in the driver's seat, God help us all.
Are people resonating? I, by the way, you're an you're an incredible writer. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Do people write to you or comment in a more positive way, a negative way? Or, you know, how are people receiving? Oh, positive, absolutely positive. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very lucky to have a wonderful community, and I get emails that are so kind, and it gives me a very good feeling because. Well, in the spring of last year, when I be- made the decision that I'm going to open my mouth and I'm not going to pretend that like everything's fine, we're just dealing with a health response. I mean, it didn't feel this way, but I was obviously not, I felt like what's going to happen when I open my mouth because I need to eat. And I, need, you know, I mean, I, that was a decision. And I was thinking, okay, so if that were Nazi Germany and and I didn't open my mouth and then, you know, 20 years later, I look back, I would be ashamed of myself. I would yeah. be horrible. I would feel just awful about myself. So I thought, okay, the context seems comparable. So I'm just going to make sure I'm courageous. And then hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens. So I made this decision. I started speaking up and it was just so wonderful, the response. So I'm sure a group of my friends who are completely respectable now think that I'm nuts. But, you know, so what? So what? I mean, like, I, I need to be loyal to my own truth. And I'm an artist. And I think that artists have the primary obligation to their own soul and to speak their truth. And if it were to, to turn out that my interpretations of the world are incorrect, I go, hooray, I would be so happy. That yeah. would be so wonderful. I would be like, yes, please, please, I was wrong. Awesome. Yeah. I don't think that that's what's going to happen. But... Even even now, I would gladly, gladly, gladly be wrong about my interpretations. But, yeah, but the majority of people actually, I think a lot of people actually feel extremely uneasy about what their senses are registering and are experiencing great cognitive dissonance. And again, many don't have the environment to discuss it. So the feedback that I get is that people, you know, they read me and they feel like, yeah, that I'm not alone. And that is extremely, like, to me, it is humbling and pleasing and wonderful because this is what, this is what art is for. This is the, the primary purpose of being an artist. It's not this fake pop culture American rebellion that was, I mean, when life is good, there's not, no problem with that. It's like, fine, you know, let's do the fake, fake rebellion. But now it's not the time for the fake rebellion. Now it's, you know, it's, it's real. It's very, very, very strange. Because I never thought I would live through a time like that. Yeah. It, I never thought that, because you read about it, you read like World War II, what my grandparents went through. So that seems like that generation had to deal with real stuff. Now, like we are, you know, we're fine. And now this is happening. So it's yeah, weird. Yeah, it's funny. You brought up um, artists. I'm just looking at something. It It feels like, I don't know. I have this. It feels like artists are scared to. Uh, I, I guess I mean mainstream, well-known artists. You know, I feel like um, they're they're not saying anything or they're not speaking out. And I think there's possibly too much for them to lose to to say something because it it does feel like the moment anybody does say something that sort of goes against what we should be thinking, quote unquote. Um, you know, people are attacked and ridiculed, and and I I just think um, it's a it's a bizarre time 
to be living in right now. And and it's weird. Like, as I said earlier, you know, I feel generally really good. I make sure to take care of my health. But it does feel like people are, you know, uh, walking on eggshells and have to have to be careful. And it's... Uh, I, I don't think you can find a happy medium or a, a resolution if people are scared to say what they're feeling. No, I don't. I, I don't think. I think on that factor alone, things are weird. Because if we are talking about okay, all this bullying is happening for our health, right? That's all for our health. Great. Then why is it that any respectable doctor or researcher? who touches one of the two topics, the treatments that they believe work or that magical mag medical product that they see problems with. Why is not, why aren't we allowed to talk about it? I mean, like a simple question, because people can have different opinions and people can have different, different, you know, in science, different opinions are fine. That's how science has always been. But how come the moment they open their mouth, their career goes really, really eerie? Yeah. That does not prove the point of that being our health. It just, to me, it's illogical. Then it feels like gaslighting or bullying or, or something's up or somebody's not saying something. Because if that were about my health, then it would be natural that everybody would want to discuss every side of everything that's happening, have an open discussion and even argue and people can disagree on mainstream television and say, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. But that would be fine, right? But it's not what's happening. So it's, it's, it's almost on that merit alone, it's obvious that something's weird. And, but even so, I think that speaking up is generally more helpful at this point. Because as history has proven many times, bullies don't stop. So if the hope is that if I don't, if I comply now, and maybe it will just go away, I don't think that in most cases this is how it works. Yeah. And granted, some people might sincerely believe that what we're told is true. And that's, you know, that's another story. I mean, everybody's entitled to believing anything they want, and it goes for any kind of opinion. But if somebody has doubts and they don't say anything because, well, I mean, nobody can be blamed for desiring to eat. Definitely. Right. Like that's a very valid, extremely valid concern. But then if you think about it from high above, the big picture, if there are 100 people, 90 of them think it's weird and none of them says anything because they believe that everybody else will yell at them, then it's like, you know, the outcome. Yeah. What, um, how old are you when you, uh, when you moved from Russia to here? Oh, I was my teens. I was still a kid. So I spent pretty much my, my entire adult life here. Yeah, no, I was curious back in Russia. Um, was, was there, I mean, were, were you just completely relieved when you came to America? And, and then do you, are you, do you still speak to people in Russia now? I'm sure you do, but. I, I don't really, I mean, like I have some friends. I don't really know anything about like politics or celebrities or, you know, trends. I don't really, you know, I've been here for so long that I, unless some, some big event happens, I don't even know what's, what's going on there okay. much. But, uh, well, now over there was wonderful. It was actually the best because I grew up essentially at the ruins of the Soviet Union. That was wonderful. That was the best freedom I've ever experienced because 
the old system was gone, the new system was not really in place, and there was this feeling, like popular feeling of complete spiritual upheaval, and people, naively so, but people believe that politicians are now going to be honest, and now we have the real freedom, like in America, which is in itself a myth, but there was this romantic idea and free expression and everybody was expressing themselves. It was really wonderful, really, really wonderful. And then, of course, it ended over there and it ended over here. So <laughs> yeah. there's no paradise anymore, anywhere. Yeah. When did you, you know, you're a musician before, um, I guess, anything else creatively, I imagine. But when did you get the sense um, that music was going to be an important part of your life? When I was like five. What happened? Well, my parents brought me to a music school and I just, because that's a thing to do. Yeah. And then I did classical piano for four years and like composed and all that. So, I mean, it, it kind of just, I didn't consciously choose it. It just happened. And then I realized I really liked it. Yeah. What about you? Kind of a similar um, time of my life. My, my parents had a piano uh, in the mm -hmm. house. And I just, when I was three, I just started, um, just sitting down and, and playing, you know, to, to mm -hmm. ear. I don't know how to, I don't know how to read music. Um, but I just started singing and humming melodies. Um, and then when I was 10, I picked up the drums and started playing the drums, which, oh, nice. yeah, which was amazing. Uh, and then in my early twenties, I started writing songs. It's, it's weird. I think I grew up with music. A lot of the 80s musically uh, was sort of when I was growing up, but it wasn't until early 90s when I heard um, Nirvana mm -hmm. and, and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. It was something about them singing and their songwriting that, that, inspired, mm -hmm. that inspired me to start writing my own music. Did you ever feel like you had to you know, only be a musician or at, at what point did you think to yourself, oh, I'm going to start writing articles and start writing blogs and, and writing my... I just started, I mean, like, I've been writing stories also from my childhood and poems and so it was all kind of, and, yeah, and I was writing songs as a kid too, so which means lyrics. Right. So I did not consciously make a decision, I'm going to do this or that or that, it just, I wrote it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, like, in, in high school, or were you still, when, when was your first band? I mean, were you still, you know, doing a bunch of, how did, how did your sort of musical journey evolve? Well, when I was in high school, I had a band. Okay. So. And then, what, like, in the States here in America, were, were, you, were you in a bunch of bands? Yeah, in the States, I mean, I, there, there was no classical music anymore. I mean, I had bands. Right. Yeah. So, the usual. Yeah. So what's like, what's the deal now with, you know, uh, New York, are you able to do gigs or, or musically? No, I mean, it's, it's tricky because a lot of venues, they, you know, they require certain procedures. Right. And I, again, like the, the whole segregation thing, I'm vehemently against. And sure. actually I really admire people who are not against the procedure, but against segregation. I mean, like that's, I think the epitome of like really being like classy and normal being human being and, that is. So segregation is absolutely awful. Yeah. I mean, not that I'm a fan of the procedure, but the 
segregation, that's just so immoral that yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really, really weird. I mean, like to me, actually accepting it, it's like history didn't exist. Like we haven't read books. We don't know that segregation is bad. It's so strange because when people look back at it, say, I think 50 years from now, if we are around, then how how did it not occur to them that segregation was bad? Yeah. Just like with any other kind of segregation that existed in history, it's so obvious looking back. Yeah. Well, there's something... There's something very personal and intimate about one's own health journey. I, I've mm -hmm. had a lot of health issues in my life, and um, I don't feel like it's anybody's business unless I feel comfortable, you know, talking about it or sharing it with people. It's it's weird. It feels like this combination of of the world we live in, social media, uh, and and. And a lot of people just revealing all of their intimate details now on social media. It's almost like um, people sort of expect people to just sort of share all of their intimate personal health issues. And, and I just, I, I don't know. I don't like that direction of where we're headed. But uh, th that direction, though, it's not just, it didn't just show up. It was manufactured. Hmm. I mean, companies like Google, well, for a fact, they were trying, way before the pandemic, they were trying to remove that cloak of privacy from medical information because they really wanted to have access to people's medical medical information. And they tried. They tried and they tried and they tried. They succeeded somewhat, but not a lot. Yeah. So it's not like people just one day decided that it's awesome to share their medical information. There has been a lot of propaganda put into that and money and lobbying and bullying. So that is a very much a manufactured state of culture, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. What's the blue ocean theory? Oh, well, the blue ocean theory. So you're referring to that, that article of natural immunity. So the blue yeah. ocean strategy is, well, that's a pretty mainstream marketing strategy that has to do with not competing in the existing market where the existing market would be compared to the red ocean, ocean red with blood, where there's all this competition. Okay. So instead of doing that, the idea is to create a brand new a brand new market, which is a blue ocean, like free ocean, ocean free of competition, and then write your own rules and then own that market and obviously make all the profits, which in theory is a very clever idea. And perhaps in some applications, it is, you know, interesting and interesting approach. But the way it is being done right now, for example, we have a new market, human body. So somebody decided that human body is a market now. Yeah. And because it's a market, then, you know, all bets are off, all is fair. So if we view body as a market, uh, like New Frontier, body is a platform, now we have internet of bodies. Now when people feel protective of their own bodies, they, they the, the, then to a marketer or to the business person, to the biotech entrepreneur, that's an insult. Because what do you mean it's your body? It's my market. It's my, you know, my frontier. And that is tragic. I mean, that really is abusive. It's yeah. kind of, it's not a new thing. It's a continuation of the same tradition that we've been dealing with for centuries, where like somebody decides that nature is a new frontier. So people can go and do all the destructions because... 
for whatever reason, they feel authorized to claim that as their own property and just do whatever. So that is just stretching that from nature that is viewed as inanimate to people. Now, if somebody decides that your body is their property, then here we go. Yeah. I think it requires a lot of work and time to, you know, eat well, uh, make sure you get a good night's sleep and exercise every day and, and um, have your vitamins and supplements and et cetera, et cetera. And it feels like here in America, uh, we're just getting lazier and lazier and just, you know, popping pills. Um, and it's like, okay, yeah, you can, you know, you can get a shot, you can take a pill, but that's not going to get rid of the, the, the idea that you're still, you know, 70, 75 pounds overweight and something that that's eventually going to catch up with you. Um, well, I think that nobody really wants you to be healthy. Like people mm. in the industry, I am sure many individual people, obviously they have this idea of what they really do want people to be happy, but on the level of business models, healthy people do not make industries a whole lot of profit. Yeah. So it's just, that's just reality. And if we are, if our main purpose in life is to generate profits, then it's, it's a whole different angle. There's something that I've always held on to, and it's my inner voice. Like, like my instinct. I, I've always had this sense. I mean, I'm kind of a cautious guy, but I've always had the sense of uh, this something. Something doesn't feel right, or you know, that person feels like dangerous, or uh, it, it, it's weird. Like, so there's millions of people right now that have those same feelings about the world. And we're basically supposed to, the response is, don't listen to that voice. And I've always been really conflicted by that because it's sort of like this personal, um, almost like butler or, you know, uh -huh. th like that's sort of like looking after you. And I've always listened carefully to that voice. And that voice has really led me you know, down a pretty good life, I think. And a lot of it is because I, I listened and didn't ignore that 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 mm -hmm. thing, whatever it is. Um, do you, I don't even have a question, but I just, I think it's it's something that I really, I think as I was reading some of your articles, it, it feels like that voice is something that you pay attention to also. Well, well yeah, I mean, if somebody with really shifty eyes is trying to offer you like a candy bar and going, Oh, like, you know, let's go into the dark alley. It's fine. Yeah. Don't be a coward. <laughs> Experience some adventure. Right. But I think maybe you have to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, I one of the reasons why I became extremely suspicious about the official narrative was that, well, years ago, I, I was in an abusive marriage. So, and that actually caused me tremendous amounts of pain and drama and but the punchline is that I was in denial for a while. I guess it's a classic situation, right? Yeah. So by virtue of being in denial and 
not listening to that voice that says, well, this, this guy with the candy and the dark, dark alley, maybe you should, like, maybe you shouldn't. So, and the price that I, I had to pay for that was so, such tremendous pain and suffering. And so that I, by virtue of going through that, I learned that when somebody tells you, don't listen to your inner voice, your inner voice is like horrible and crazy and immoral and you're a bad person if you listen to that. If anybody tells you that, they're not your friend. And so when the television started telling me that <laughs> all those thoughts that you're having, it's because if you have them, then you're, you're a bad person. Yeah. But I was like, wait, where did I hear that before? So that it's just the messaging itself. Because let's say I'm not a doctor, I cannot really, I mean, I can have my peasant theories about medicine, but I'm not a doctor. But on messaging, on the tone of how everything was presented, on the pressure, on the bullying, that felt extremely not benevolent. Yeah. So I, I hear you. And I think it's extremely treacherous that we're told to not listen to ourselves. And if we go and look back at history, for instance, uh, well, say the Soviet Union in the 50s and 60s, there was a trend very similar to today where city-educated folks would come to the village and tell the peasants how to farm. And tell them in no uncertain terms, like, you should use that fertilizer. You sure as hell need to use that fertilizer. And if you don't, you're a backward, horrible, you don't know what you're doing, and you really should reconsider and just use this damn fertilizer. And then, of course, a few decades passed, and then everybody knew, oh, they were toxic, and, you know, it caused all sorts of diseases and all that. But in the moment, the educated people were carrying the light, and if somebody didn't want to listen to their knowledge, they were the, you know, they were the horrible people. Yeah. So that, that's a trend that seems to never fail. Or, for instance... The advertisements are still on YouTube, DDT, you know, like how people selling DDT would go to Africa and teach Africans that they should trust the DDT and use it spread everywhere against the mosquitoes and the malaria. And, of course, the infomercials were made in such a way that the doubtful locals clearly didn't know what they were thinking or what they were doing. They, the, the, the right way would be to just abandon their doubts and use that DDT. Then, of course, now we know that DDT is toxic, horribly so. Right. So... It seems like every time somebody comes to your house and tells you, well, you really don't worry about it, just use it. <laughs> then a few decades later, it becomes obvious that it wasn't such a good idea. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm conflicted by when, when somebody's telling me to not listen to um, what, I'm, what I'm feeling, um, I, I'm certainly hesitant to um to listen to them i think the other thing that i i'm i'm struck by that i'm i'm conflicted by is this idea of and i'm going to play a little bit a little bit of devil's advocate just because just for the heck of it but this idea of reality like your reality is you believe what you believe and mm -hmm. you know a hundred other people are going to believe the complete opposite of what you believe and mm -hmm. be, beyond just your experience, you know, right, right. you know, like the media is, is, uh, you know, one outlet is sharing their reality and another one sharing another reality. And we, we have all these realities going on right now mm -hmm. that, um, I, I think 
we are suffering through too much information, too much, you know, if too many people, and it's weird, like I'm not anti-free speech. I think, of course, you know, you want to go on and write your articles, please. If, if I want to sing songs and create a podcast, I should have that right. But I also feel like, are we at a situation where too many people get to say what they want? Uh, it's interesting. I had this conversation with a friend on my own podcast some time, some time ago. I actually think that as long as the opinions are since well, first of all, everybody should be able to say whatever they want without any job consequences. And I mean, literally whatever they want, unless they're trying to kill somebody. I mean, like that's, that's entirely like violence is obviously a, an exception, but beyond that, as far as opinions, interpretations, feelings, whatever, I, I was thinking about it even a few years ago is that we, will avoid a lot of problems if people can say whatever they want on their social media and that space is completely separate from their job. Like, you know, they are not going to lose a job because they said something that somebody didn't like. Or, I mean, like, that would save us a lot of problems. And, of course, that didn't go that direction for a reason and now we're having problems. But, <laughs> right. uh, but I think that the real problem right now is an extremely well-coordinated effort in a certain direction. And the censorship is not a natural development because people like to talk to each other and people like to discuss things and people usually can, if they're left to own devices without anybody trying to mess with their mind, people can kind of, you know, they can think that the other person is an idiot, but that's the extent of it. Now, what's happening right now, I think there's a very distinct business plan towards which we're marched. And it's so massive and it impacts so many areas of our lives that one really has to dedicate a lot of time to connecting the dots. That's extremely time consuming. If people don't have that time individually, then it's very hard to connect the dots because separation of all those layers is also part of the plan. And that's been like that for centuries. That's actually a strategy, like making sure that people that things happening in different spheres seem completely unrelated, even though they are related. But if people notice that they're related, they will be, you know, they will not want it to happen. So there's, again, there's a, a, a lot of effort to make sure that everything seems random. But uh, expression? No, I mean, like, in my opinion, everybody should be able to talk. Now, there is an information overload but the problem is not so much the overload because people have a tendency. I mean, so maybe I don't want to interact on social media with a million people because I can't, because it's physically impossible. But naturally, I will form my circle and I will be talking to the same amount of you. Now, I mean, when people left to natural devices, things just work out. Unfortunately, I don't think we're dealing with a natural situation. And... On the one hand, there's this big machine with big anti-human ambitions that is, of course, selling itself as the vehicle of compassion, which is total bullshit. Yeah. But, and then there are individual people who try to be sincere, who try to get to the truth. And of course, there are conspiracy theorists. And then, of course, there are also people who want to be media moguls on sensationalist ideas, but that doesn't have to do with the nature of the idea. That's kind of a technique that is used across the board, across all ideologies. But actually right now, from what I see, the situation is so dire 
and what's at stake it's is so real and significant that actually people who are in the contrarian camp right now they are mostly sincere because they don't have much to gain and that's another thing usually you know when there are two people arguing and let's say it's about science and i you know, I mean, I had a little bit of background of, in science, but that was a long time ago, and definitely I'm not, I'm not a scientist proper, right? Yeah. But so then I can say, okay, so this person with his opinion, he will get a fat grant and he will get 15 publications. And then this person arguing with him is going to lose his job. So the chance is that as far as gain, and any of them could be right, like theoretical as far as the science proper, right? But as far as just motives, the chances that the contrarian guy is probably sincere. So I think that, well, looking at motivation is also important. Yeah. I, I also feel like though, <laughs> I was just looking at Instagram about an hour ago. There's literally millions of people right now Mm -hmm. millions that don't even care and all they care about is you know dancing and taking selfies uh and 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 that's that's their obsession and i do think um when there's less distractions when there's less mediums giving us information it helps people focus and and sort of build a community and get behind an idea or a belief system and it's it's strange to think what's going on with the world, and I, I gotta believe there's millions of people that just don't care because they they're more concerned of oh I need to get you know three four hundred thousand followers and I I love I'm so addicted to the attention that I'm getting on my phone that that's more, that's more important than anything else. Well, I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that, and I think that. Again, prior to last year, that was kind of a problem, but then who cares? You know, like life is life is fine. Now, if it continues this way and things don't get worse, then you know what? Fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> because my, my concern is not where this is going at all. But, well, I was not born in this country and... Comparing to you know my original my Russian culture, American culture is a bit on the shallow side, and I don't think it comes from the people per se. It comes from well the consumerism, the ideals of consumerism. Again, they were manufactured. They were manufactured by the industry, and so there was a lot of effort put into distracting people from their own souls and from themselves and from their relationships, so that people are happier about a product. A relationship with a product than a relationship with a human being. So yeah. that was all manufactured. And of course, life is complex. So no matter what's being manufactured, people also make their own choices and co-create this world. Do you think, but, though, that the intentions from, you know, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Googles, um, the media moguls, do you think their intentions were um, control or was it just to make billions of dollars from advertisers or it was sort of a combination or were they just sure it's a combination like yeah. you know like anything in the world it's ultimately absolutely everything happens in the world like the actions come from people and people are complex sometimes 
things are driven, I don't know, by a romantic relationship and of somebody with a lot of money. And then, like, nobody can explain, right? But there's something, like, motives are always different. And I am sure that it's a combination of greed and feeling like somebody wants to save the world and the desire to control and the collaboration between, I don't know, the, the, the media and the various agencies. I mean, like, that's known history and, well, known reality, too. So it's a combination of everything. But the way I look at it, ultimately, again, I look at it more from the spiritual perspective. Uh, well, even though it's a lofty word. But what I mean by that is, if you look at everything as an individual choice in the moment, like, is this choice authentic to you know, being ethical or to not harming people? Because, you know, making profit is wonderful. Everybody wants to make profit. Like, I want to make profit. Like, profit is good if it's if it doesn't harm anybody, if it's in harmony with the world, then it's, you know, it's good to do well. Yeah. But if somebody realizes that, okay, so what they're going to, I don't know, uh, say that this treat, nobody should use this treatment and then people die. I mean, I think that eventually sooner or later, that person who allowed that, it would, they would realize that that's what they did. And maybe it'll happen on their deathbed. Maybe nobody will find out that they realize that. But I do think that in life, everything balances out eventually. And uh, things that are extremely unethical, I mean, it catches up with whoever did it. Even if it's just by realizing that, that what horrible things they did. So to me, everything is more or less, I view everything through a prism of, choices and tr and the price of self-betrayal if people do that if people do self-betrayal and granted there's a very small amount of people in this world who are genuinely like evil but that's a very very small amount i think most people who do things that are that cause harm they're just confused You believe that most people are good. It's just a, a very few select, a powerful people are sort of causing this destruction. Or do, I, I don't know. Well, 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 I mean, like that, that's oversimplifying that a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I know. think that, uh, well, I think that we're at a time that can go either direction. Okay. And I think it's an opportunity to, I don't know, for the lack of a better expression, wake the fuck up. But uh, it depends, the outcome probably, or the general direction probably depends on whether that event occurs. And and by that event, I mean waking the fuck up. Yeah. So uh, as far as, I mean, good and bad are relative words. What I meant is that there are a few people who are say, like genuinely sadistic, like wholly inquisitive kind of thing. So that is more of an exception. There is a certain amount of people who are like that, but they're not too many. They're very few. Then, of course, if that kind of uh, person gets on top of the society and then starts generating like structures that encourage psychopathic tendencies, then people who might go either way, they, you know, they do whatever 
helps them develop their career or you know make more money things like that but i think that in general existentially if people were very conscious of making choices that are spiritually sound then the truly sadistic people would not have that much power yeah because there's a lot more people who are not sadistic at all and granted everybody has all sorts of tendencies in them but in practical terms most people are generally compassionate and they want to help and they want to be respected and all that but if there is this whole machinery that weaponizes people's pain and people's desire for respect and all those things and then the conditions are not very good but then there's a difference between somebody who is sadistic who like genuinely enjoys suffering right and then somebody who is just can be trained out like desensitized so i can never pronounce this word so you can you can edit it out yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so somebody who just i don't know i mean like they just go with the flow yeah i guess my last point i'm thinking about um i have a a hard time reconciling this idea that people can just take music for free from Spotify or Napster. You know, Napster really isn't around anymore, but you know, you're right. Like in the scheme of things, streaming services aren't at the top of, of, of the mountain of, of what our culture should be paying attention to. But I do feel like it's, you know, Spotify and, and Netflix and all these, these, mediums, we have sort of become obsessed with convenience. Uh, we love that we can have access to a lot. We love, we think, you know, $9.99, I can watch any movie on Netflix and they've got millions of them for $9 a month. I can listen to any music, but I, I feel like there's this certain level of curiosity. Like do, do people care, um, who was the editor on, you know, this this new Quentin Tarantino movie? Well, you know, I used to have a curiosity of, of who's the producer on this Alice in Chains record. And I love to look at the CD and I would read all the liner notes. And it feels like, um, do people, like, do people care about that stuff anymore? Well, I don't know. That was the topic of my Spotify's and all. That was the topic of my big time activism some years ago. Yeah. So, like, I wrote so much about like, streaming and greedy tech. And I think really, again, I I fault Google's and Spotify's of the world. As far as people, I think that uh, that was a carefully designed marketing campaign to seduce the people with free stuff. Because like, honestly, who doesn't like free, right? Everybody sure. likes free. And then, but in reality, tech companies were making something on that. They were stealing the free from, or they were encouraging others to steal it. But then there would be advertisement revenue attached to all that free stuff for the tech companies that would not be shared with whoever created that music or film or photography or anything like that. Yeah, I guess and, I guess I just I get a little pissed off though because Spotify just a couple months ago had this big event where they're announcing some new ideas to their platform. Right. And you know, uh Billie Eilish was there, Bruce Springsteen was there, um 
Khalid was there. And it's like, if these artists, these really well-known artists, you know, took a stand and were like, fuck you, Spotify. I'm not putting my music there anymore. I just feel like, you know, they, they just sort of like gave in. Well, as, uh, I, I think that, well, in my, in my uh, Bruce Springsteen, I, I think he just did a vaccinated only event. So I mean, like he's off my list. So <laughs> I don't even, but, but that battle was very big in my life several years ago. Again, I went to those Spotify events and I go rah, rah, rah. And uh, that is all extremely valid. Uh, that's, that was, I think, a very tiny baby step into what's awaiting everybody. And even, I don't know, like for instance, let's take the, the famous thing with Google Books. Like, so I'm sure, I'm sure you, you know what happened, but just for the sake of the podcast. So Google wanted to own or at least have access to, to train their AI nonetheless. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to digitize essentially all books that exist. And of course, a lot of the books are owned by publishers. So it's technically illegal to just digitize them. Well, there was a big uh, bullying campaign and Google eventually won. So, and they also bribed the libraries because they said, oh, you know, libraries were poor because, well, Big tech made them poor, in part. But then Google's other world say, oh, libraries, we love you so much. We'll give you those grants. We'll give you money. And we're going to help you digitize all those books. Right. And the libraries said, yes, thank you. And then, of course, they digitized all those books. And now they have all this stuff. And so this is just one of many treacherous campaigns uh, through which big tech wanted to acquire all information. And of course their quest, their official quest is to have all information in the world. And now they also want to have all the physical world in the world because the technology got a little more powerful. But people here are, I don't necessarily fault like a poor student who genuinely has no money. So they pirate a bunch of stuff. It's bad for musicians, but if, you know, the cultural concept was created not by the poor student. It was created by Google and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify specifically, well, Daniel Eck started with, I mean, his background was in pirate, in, you know, in pirate. So, I mean, like, big savior. So that was by design a campaign to steal, really. Yeah. And they don't care about music. They care about using music to collect data. And in some cases to just collect data to sell it, in some cases to collect the data to build AI. But that's kind of just a mini picture of what they're now trying to apply across the board. Which is why I find it ironic that when musicians were protesting that part of it, then everybody said, nobody cares, did a job. Yeah. And then now that it's being played pretty much in every industry with farming and uh, I mean, like it's destined to be a total disaster, but they don't care. It's like they actually do want to uh, subjugate everybody. Like domination is their purpose. That's their unspoken purpose, sometimes spoken purpose, but there's no pretense. I mean like that, they, they don't care about anybody really. And, but one thing that is 
actually bothering me is that a certain type of criticizing big tech was turned completely upside down so that criticizing actually helps them. Because the common criticism right now is that big tech is not doing a good enough job at controlling misinformation, which of course gives big tech more rights to censor hmm. and to be a publisher. And that is, to me, a horrible interpretation of the critique because they should do a better job at controlling copyrighted stuff because musicians need to eat or controlling stuff that is, I don't know, revenge porn. That is, that is genuinely criminal, but they should absolutely stay out of people expressing their opinions. And the upside, the putting this critique upside down and turning it, it sounds as if they're being criticized, but really it's just to help them. So like, that's that's very twisted, that, that bothers me. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, they, they want to eat us, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, what's inspiring you? Are, are you doing music right now? Or are you mostly, you know, doing, you know, um, well, art? Mostly I've been doing writing, but uh, oh, I am working on something. Um, like I just started working with a wonderful Armenian artist. We are creating some, some interesting, some interesting things. I'm very excited. Cool. And then see the music I was doing before, it was about what's happening now. Hmm. So for me, it's almost, I don't want to do music about it because I, all I have to do is to look out of the window. <laughs> so it's like, it's not why I was doing that. It wasn't an instruction manual at all. But so now I want to do something that is the opposite of what's happening. Yeah. Happy and joyful. Tessa, I, I really appreciate your time in chatting about life and, and music and the weirdness that's going on oh thank you it was a great pleasure to talk to you yeah and i apologize that i i had to cancel last week it was more than like all, all the, i had to do with what i told you well i appreciate i appreciate your time it was really great to meet oh, you and great to talk oh, to you absolutely yeah and let's stay in touch definitely i'll i'll keep reading and uh Supporting what you're writing, I, I I appreciate what you write. I think I think you have a really wonderful way with words uh, in in your articles. So I, I I love reading them. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did check out your art. I mean, like it's, it's wonderful. I, so I can only return the compliment. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. appreciate your time. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye.